we started a new study last week, new series, and, and, and our question is, what does God think? Well, just look at Jesus. We're, we're looking at Jesus Christ to find out what God's opinion is, okay? Uh, I said this last week, but Jesus Christ is perfect theology. Theology is the study of God. And Jesus is a living picture of who God is because He is God. If we want to know what God thinks, if we want to know how God would act in a situation or, or what He would do in a, in a particular circumstance, all I have to do is look at Jesus. I've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, to show me. See, the thing is, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they never contradict each other. Okay? One's not doing this and, and the other one doing this. They're all doing the same thing. They, they are perfectly complete and they fully endorse one another. Jesus is God who became man. And, and we have a record that He lived for 33 and a half years among us. We have four books written about Him, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in which those four dif different authors describe in detail how Jesus thought and how Jesus acted. So we have for us how God thinks and how God acts. Amen? I don't know if you believe me or not, okay? I, I think, well, 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 I'm not, I'm not sure. Listen, we have eyewitness accounts. Eyewitness accounts of what Jesus did, what His works looked like, what His words sounded like. And, and, and the reality is we have the ones that the Holy Spirit chose to give us so we could know and understand God better by experiencing God in the flesh. And through faith in Jesus, we could come to salvation. Uh, the Apostle John tells us this. How many of you realize we don't have everything Jesus did? We just have a... A sampling. You ever been to a, 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 a party or something and, and you just you couldn't graze, you had to just get a sampling, a little bit of everything? Well, we have a sampling, a little bit of everything that Jesus did. But what we do have shows us what God thinks. How God responds. In, in John chapter 20 verse 30, Jesus, uh, John says this, it's after the resurrection, he says, many other signs, many other, whenever you see the word signs in scripture, it means many other attesting miracles, uh, miracles that, uh, that, that say that, that what is going on is true. He says, many other signs therefore Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. And then he goes on to say in John 21, 25, he says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I like this, I suppose, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books which were written. In other words, Jesus did far beyond what we have a record of, but we have a record that is true and a record that gives us clear direction on what Jesus thought and what Jesus did, which tells us that, that that's how God thinks. And that's what God does. There's, there's a passage, and, I, and I'm not going to be able to give you the reference, but, but over and over and over, Jesus says this. He says, whatever I see the Father doing, I do. Whatever I hear the Father saying, I say. In other words, God the Father and God the Son were in perfect unison and unity. Whatever Jesus saw God do, He did. So, whatever He heard God say, He said. Therefore, Jesus is a living example of who God is for us. I don't have to wonder what God thinks about something. I have Jesus. He's demonstrated it for us. You know, the, the world looks at us to see Jesus. How many of you realize that? They want to see what Jesus looks like. And, and, and not only that, they want by extension to find out what God thinks. So they look at us and sadly, we don't always communicate the message God is speaking. Sometimes we get things mixed up. Amen? 
We do. Sometimes we value one characteristic or one attribute of God over another. Sometimes we get caught up in this and we forget this. Sometimes we don't understand how this attribute works in conjunction with this attribute. For example, how love works with holiness. How grace works with justice. How mercy works with righteousness. We, we get fixated on one of those and ignore the other one. But God doesn't do that. And you know what? If we're confused about these things, then think about the people who are outside the faith. If we don't understand it, how are they going to understand it? If we're confused about it, then they get their understanding of what God thinks from our actions and our word. Now, I'm going to say something in a few minutes that's probably going to make everybody in here mad, but that's okay. Jesus did not stand on the street corners in Nazareth. He did not stand on the porch whenever He spoke at the synagogues or on the steps of the temple in Jerusalem holding signs which said the end is coming, turn or burn. He never said that, okay? He never said it. He didn't scream with veins bulging and, and face turning blood, right, uh, blood red, get right or get left. He, he never said stuff like that. He never posted a sign on the church sign that says, you think it's hot here? Hell's going to be hotter. Every time I see that, and I see that every year about this time, I cringe. I will never forget as long as I live. Years ago when I was a, a, a teenager, the grocery store was 15 miles away, so I couldn't work there. I worked on a farm. I know what it's like to chop cotton. If you don't know what chopping cotton is, you're not old enough, okay? Chopping cotton is basically thinning out cotton. Okay, And so we were thinning out cotton, and these rows were, they were about a quarter of a mile that way and a quarter of a mile back. They were long rows. There was four, five, six of us young guys, and we had a couple of older ladies that were taking care of us and making sure we were doing what we were doing. And, and we were carrying, I mean, you know how it is when you're out working in the, in the hot sunshine. Man, it's hot out here. It's hot out here. And we're moaning and groaning, and, and you know, we was just doing what boys do. And I will never forget this lady, and uh, she's gone now. And she's in heaven with Jesus, and she's going to find out uh, that a lot of the stuff she thought is not right, okay? But I will never forget her saying this. And I'm, 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 I'm 50 years or better away from this day, but I'll never forget this. She said this, you think it's hot here? This is not half as hot as hell's going to be. They got real quiet. In her way, in her way of thinking, she was trying to jar us into reality. We thought she was nuts. I, I didn't see the love of Jesus at all in that. And I never forgot that moment. He didn't, he didn't do that. He didn't post it on the church sign. And listen, he never protested or, or, or carried placards with the message that God hates fags, queers, and sexual perverts. I stood in New Orleans, Louisiana at a Southern Baptist convention, and across the road was about 30 so-called believers with signs that said that. Who wants that Jesus? That Jesus is not the biblical Jesus. That Jesus is the concoction of people who are self-righteous and they, th they are Pharisees, modern day Pharisees. They think they're right, everybody else is wrong, therefore everybody else is going to hell. That was not the Jesus of the New Testament and that's not the, news, the Jesus of today. Jesus never did it that way. Listen, People that are living in sin, they know it. All right? God has put a witness inside every man and every woman. I don't have to convince them that what they're doing is wrong. They know it. All right? They know it. He didn't deal with sinners that way. 
He, he didn't be, deal with unbelievers that way. Even when he was angry at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their religious hypocrisy, he didn't act that way. He just spoke the truth to them. He didn't treat them the same way he treated the unbelievers and the people who were messed up and the people who were trapped in sin. He got harsh with them because they knew the truth. And the truth had not set them free. It had made them self-righteous. It had made them holier than thou, better than all the rest, the only ones who were going to heaven. Listen, I hope you never have that idea that we are the only ones going. I'm afraid a lot of the ones that think we are the only ones are going ain't going. All right? Remember what Jesus said? There are many going to appear before me on that last day, and they're going to say, Lord, we did this, and we did this, and we did that. And he's going to say, depart from me. I didn't know you. See, it's not what we do. It's what's in here. It's what's in here that comes out here. That's not how God intends for us to respond. It's not how He, he, he intends for us to, to react to others. You know what? God hates sin. Amen? Yes. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not preaching He doesn't hate sin. God hates sin. But perhaps we need to accurately define sin and grasp why God hates it. Okay? And then we'll talk about the sinners in a minute. Sin is not a person. Let me say that again, slow and with a smile on my face. Sin is not a person. Sin is not only an act of wrongdoing. It, it's, not, uh, it's not just breaking a taboo or a violation of, of, a, of, a, of a rule or, or transgression of an external ordinance. Sin is also alienation. It's separation from God. It's much more than those things. What it does, sin signifies a rupture of a personal relationship with God. It's a betrayal of a trust He places in us. With regard to God, sin is breaking a covenant relationship. It's a big deal. It wounds the very heart of God. It's faithlessness in the one who is truth. Don't, let, don't miss that. It's faithlessness in the one who is truth. Therefore, when God tells me to do something and I don't do it, I have sinned. I'm going to say that again. When God tells us, you and me, to do something and we don't do it, it is sin. Sin calls God a liar. And it denies His sovereignty. It is a debilitating, ongoing state of enmity. And enmity is an extreme hatred that exists between parties that are at war. And Scripture says we are at, we are at enmity with God when we're in sin. Sin places us on the wrong side. By the way, it's the losing side. It's the devil's side. You better believe God hates sin. But you know why He hates it? He hates it because it kills and destroys the very creatures who participate in it and who partner with it and who choose it, the ones who were made that He made in His own image and His likeness. And He created to experience genuine relationship. That's why God hates sin. It kills the very creatures He created to have a covenant relationship with their Creator. Sin is, is really, if, if you want to put it in, in, in terms that all of us can understand, it's spiritual cancer. Okay? It, it, and unless you and I find the cure, who by the way is Jesus, that spiritual cancer will consume us and it will kill us as it twists and as it distorts and as it cripples and as it deforms us. Sin makes us rebels. And it places us in league or in partnership with Satan who is the arch rebel, who is the very first one who rebelled. Sin, and, and I, I won't, I'm not going to read this passage today 
But this is a passage. It's found in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, 32. The church loves this passage. Okay? The church loves to take this passage and use it like a club on people who are in sin. If I were to, I'll just read a little bit. It's not going to be on the screen because I, I didn't intend to. It says this, verse 8, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now, it doesn't say that God's wrath is revealed against men. It says that God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, we like that verse because that's the verse that talks, I mean, this passage is the verse that talks about they knew God, but they didn't honor God, so God gave them over. In other words, God, and when, when God gives over, He doesn't say, you're cursed and, and damned, you're headed to hell. God says, you know what? I will step back and allow you to do what it is you want to do. There's a big difference than, than saying, hey, no hope for you, and saying, hey, I'll let you pursue your own pathways. And what happens is, sin begins to change us. It erases our memory of who God is, who He, who he, who he is and what He desires. It, 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 it changes us into different creatures than, than He created. Sin causes us to lose our ability to think correctly. And the reason it does that is because the fear of God disappears from our mental capacity. You see, sin is unbelief. And unbelief over a long period of time ends up giving us a depraved or reprobate mind. God doesn't wave His hands over a sinner and say, Hey, depraved mind, reprobate mind. No, we follow that pathway until we are transformed on our own doings. And we have a reprobate or depraved mind. Now, I've heard all kind of definitions on what that means. Here's the reality of what. Here's the biblical definition. Here's what Paul meant. It means that that person can no longer logically think about God in the right way. They don't even think about God. You want to know why things are like they are? Because people don't even entertain thoughts about God anymore. And when left to your own devices, guess where you go? Around and around and around the bowl and down the hole. That's where it goes. It always descends. And so what happens is they lose their ability to make good judgments. If you, if you study that passage in Romans there, they, they, they begin to slip in their morality. They begin to, to wonder who they really are and what's their identity and are they this or are they that. And, and they go after things that God never intended for men and women to go after and they descend into a, a state of degradation. And ultimately, they can't make good judgments anymore. We reject God long enough and the ability to, to discern that God is present around us disappears. He becomes absent from our thinking. If you want to read a passage of Scripture that, uh, that kind of makes you wake up, read this passage this afternoon, Romans 1, 18-32. Don't be like those that take this passage and use it like a club on lost people. This is, this is Paul's explanation of why things are the way they are. It ought to make your blood run cold, what it ought to do. It ought to make the compassion of Jesus begin to boil up in your heart. It ought to open your mouth to share and to remind them. You see, hidden somewhere in people's heart is the knowledge of God. They just can't get it from here back up to here. That's what we're here for, to remind them there is a God, that God does love you. That God will meet you where you are. That God can strengthen you and heal you and bring you out of that lifestyle. But you have to think about it. You have to consider it. You have to, uh, you have to come to that place. Yep, God hates sin. No doubt about it. He hates it because it destroys our destiny. It kills our purpose. And it totally separates us from God. That which is most precious... To God is lost. 
That's men and women and boys and girls. You know how much God hates sin? He hates it so much that He was willing to do the most extreme thing that could be done to rescue those who were, who were trapped in it. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Why? Because we couldn't find our way back. We couldn't do it on our own. So He came to get us. Jesus said this, He said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. How many of you have ever been lost? I don't mean you were kind of sure where you were. You were totally lost. You, If left to your own devices, you would have never found your way back. You ever been there? Man, I have. It, it, it is a... <laughs> I've been there a lot. Let me just tell you. I've had to stop and ask. Brother, I don't... Don't tell me how to get here. This, I just want to know how to get back to where I was, okay? That's where we were. We were lost in left field in the high grass, okay? And Jesus comes to find us. He comes to get us. You see, Jesus... Let me say it this way. God makes a great distinction between the meaning of sin and sinner. Alright? Now we just tend to lump them together. You are what you do. You know what? You're not what you do. You are who God says you are. And so what what happens here is, 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 is God hates it because it destroys our destiny. But God makes a distinction between sin and sinner. God hates sin, but God loves sinners. Amen. That's what goes there. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God He does, because if He didn't, I'd still be lost. I'd still be headed for hell. I'd still be in that place where it is turn or burn and, you know, that kind of thing. I'd be on the, on the, on the road, the highway straight to hell. If it had not been for His grace. If He had not come for us. That which is precious is lost. He hates it so much, folks, that He sent Jesus. He loves sinners. He hates sin. Listen to what this verse says. This is probably the most uh, uh, well-known verse in all of Scripture. John 3.16 For God so loved the world. When Jesus came, the world was filled to overflow with sinners. People who sin. God so loved the world. God so loved sinners. God so loved me. God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves sinners. He loves the men and the women who have lost their ability to make good judgments. He loves the people who are prisoners of their sin, who are trapped in, in perversion, who are trapped in immorality. And if you, if you read Romans chapter 1, verse 29 and 31, there's a whole list of, 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 of these individuals that, that have, have, have gone their own way. They're, they're unrighteous. They're, they're wicked. They're evil. They're, they're envious. They're murderous. They're, they're filled with strife and deceit and malice and gossip and slander. They hate God. Insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedience to parents without understanding, not trustworthy, not loving, not merciful. And God loves them. By the way, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, that's the crowd that was around Him. And what did He say? Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're saying. Forgive them. Those are the ones who had depraved, reprobate minds. Those were us, by the way, before we met Jesus. God loves sinners. And if you don't think so, just look at Jesus. 
Jesus loves sinners. His ministry is primarily to those whom the religious leaders of Judaism termed unclean. By the way, they were the Hamarites, the Hamarites, the common people, the people of the land, the regular Marys and Joes who got up every day and went to work. For the religious people of Judaism, they were perpetually unclean. There was nothing that they could do about their condition. They were, they were untouchable. They were filthy. And they could never be saved. They could never be holy. And so they didn't worry about them. It was us four and no more. Get all we can, can all we get, sit on the lid and shoot anybody that gets close to my little can of religion. That's the way they lived. And the religious elite, these same people, they, they were incredulous. Here's the question they would ask over and over and over. In Luke chapter 5, verse 30, the latter part says, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? By the way, I, I, I always kind of, you know, I kind of go, hmm, I wonder why it's tax collectors and sinners. Well... Tax collectors, in the Jewish people's mind, were worse than sinners. I'll come back to that in a minute, okay? They were the worst of the worst. Luke 15, 2. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Why is eating and drinking with them such a big deal? You ever thought about this? A meal was the most intimate time of conversation and interaction that friends could share. Don't miss that. Jesus sat down to eat and to drink with those that were doomed, that were damned, that had no hope, that could have no help. He sat down to eat. He had intimate time with them. One on one. I like Jesus' response. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. He said, It's not the healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. Mark two seventeen. What does that tell us about God? It tells us that God would rather hang out with those who are spiritually hungry and thirsty and yet have no clue what will satisfy them. Where do you think God would be most comfortable? In a 21st century church in America? Or in a bar with a bunch of drunks? out behind the building with, with homeless people, in the gutter with drug addicts. Where, where do you think you would find God? If he was, Now listen, I know somebody's going to say, but God's omnipresent. He can be everywhere at one time. Yes, He can. I'm not talking about that. I understand that. Where do you think God is most honored? It's not always in church. Sometimes it's when some poor guy that's about to go under for the last time has an epiphany and meets Jesus. So it, 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 Jesus said that, that, the, that the shepherd left the 99 sheep to go hunt the one. And that when one soul comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven erupt. I guarantee this, he would rather spend time with those who are lost and have no clue about what's going on than he would spend a few minutes with the judgmental, the self-righteous, who know the truth but ignore it and don't live it out, thinking that it does not apply to them. Okay? His presence is not there. His presence is not there. Folks, God loves those that are messed up. God, Jesus went where the sinners are. He did not wait for them to come 
where he was. He went to them. He's, he's always traveling. If you, if you plot a map of the ministry of Jesus, you will see him making this route from, from in the Nazareth area around the, the Sea of Galilee down to Jerusalem and back up and back down and back up and around and about. But it's always between there and here, there and here. He's continually moving for three and a half years. He's seeking out those who are lost. He's searching for them. He's not afraid to go into the places where nobody else wants to go. Jesus went right through Samaria. A good Jew, especially a teacher, a rabbi, would not even go there. He would take the route that took him many, many, many more miles just so he wouldn't have to put his foot on their dirt. And if he did, when he finally got out of their, their country, he would knock his shoes off and spit. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus had an appointment with a woman at a well who had had how many husbands? I'm asking because I can't remember, all right? A bunch. A bunch. And the one she was with now, not even her husband. He's got an appointment with her. Jesus beat the bushes and He seeks them out. He, he called a tax collector, collector, Matthew, to be one of His disciples. Now, here's why... Tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors and publicans. We see that all the time in the Gospels. Tax collectors were the worst of the worst because they were Jews who worked for the Romans. Okay, They, wasn't, they were not just IRS people. All right? Now, we don't like the IRS, but, but this is even worse. They were men, businessmen, who bid with, against other men to collect the taxes that the Romans levied. And everything they could collect over what the Romans required went in their pockets. So the system was rife with, with, with scandal. It was rife with, with bribery. It was rife with just plain old robbery, robbery and graft. And they got rich. And they got rich off their own people. They got rich off their own people. Therefore, they extorted and they robbed and, and, and they became rich. Jesus seeks out Zacchaeus, who, by the way, is a tax collector in Jericho. Jesus sees him in the tree and he says, Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to eat dinner with you. And so, you know, Zacchaeus goes and he prepares his feast and he invites all his friends. Guess who his friends were? They were tax collectors because birds of a feather flocked together. These were the guys who, if they were not careful, one of the zealots would slide up beside them and stick a knife right in their ribs and twist it and slip right off. They were always in danger of death because they were thieves. The worst kind of thieves. Thieves that would steal from their own people. And not just steal enough, they would steal more than enough. Alright, so that's the, that's the kind of people that tax collectors were. And Jesus calls one to be one of His disciples. And He eats very often with others around Israel. He, he, he goes to, 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 to feasts that they've thrown. Jesus loved tax collectors. Jesus loved the people that were sinners. He loved the unlovable. He, he touched the untouchable. He rubbed shoulders on a daily basis with those who were unclean. And by that I mean spiritually unclean, sometimes emotionally and even physically unclean. He embraced sinners. They were His target audience. He, they were the ones that God sent him to rescue. You see, the Jews believed this. They believed that if a person were sick, then there had to be some kind of sin in their lives because sickness was God's judgment. My gosh, that's what most Christians believe. That's not biblical. That's not Old Testament or New Testament biblical. Sickness... Sometimes comes because of sin. 
Sometimes it's the result. I mean, here's the deal. If you drink and drink and drink and drink and drink, it's likely your liver will have problems. Whose fault is it? Well, it's Mr. Alcohol. No, it's me because I drank and drank and drank. If, if I live an immoral life and I sleep with everything that moves, you know what? It's likely I will contract some kind of disease. And some of those diseases have no cure. Whose fault is it? So it does come sometimes from sinful behavior, but not everybody who's sick, it's not the result of their sin. And by the way, God didn't send it. Okay? Sin, sickness came from Satan. That's what the early church believed. That's what they believed for the first three or four hundred years of their existence. But the Jewish religious leaders believed that, that if you were sick, then it was because you had done something and you were reaping God's judgment. The sicker you were, the more crippled you were, the deafer you were, the blinder you were. I guess if you're blind, you're blind. If you're deaf, you're deaf, all right? But if you were a leper or, my gosh, if you were demonized, then you were the worst of the worst. And the religious leaders would have nothing to do with you. They believed that the only way you could be healed was for you to go to a priest and profess and confess your sins. And that priest then could, could ask God. And if he heard something, he could pronounce your sins forgiven and you would be healed. That was their belief system. Now, if that's what God thinks, all right, if that's biblical, all right, I want you to think about this. This is just common sense here. If that's what God thinks, and that's true, then was Jesus not working against God? Jesus is healing them right and left. Deaf people, blind people, demonized people, people that are lepers, people that are crippled. So if Jesus is doing that, and that's not what God thinks, and God's seen it, then Him and Jesus are button heads. Amen? They were not butting heads because that's not what God thinks. That sounds really good. Let's make God the bad guy. But that's not what Jesus thought. That's not what Jesus shows us about the Father. God sent Jesus to show the sick and the demonized and the diseased and the broken and the mangled and the sinners how much He loved them. I love what Peter says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. He says this, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed Him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how He went about doing good and healing. Listen to this. You want to know where sickness comes from? Here it is. And healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Let's say that. Let's read that again. And healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Because God was with him. Jesus is just demonstrating the love and the empathy and the grace of God for people who were in sin. For the sinners. Now listen, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Jesus was not soft on sin. Okay? He, he wasn't. He did not ignore it. Remember, he's God, so he hates sin. He confronts it every time it's an issue. He told the woman who's caught in adultery, whom they brought to him, and uh, so that, that they could so he could condemn her, and, and 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 or if he didn't condemn her, they could find fault with him. He tells her after everybody's gone, he says, "You're free to go." But what else did he tell her? You're not free to participate in this sin any longer. Now, did, did he get right up in her face and... Nope. She knew. You didn't have to tell her. She looked death in the face that day. And instead of death, she got grace. Any of you remember what death looks like before you got grace? We ought to. We should never forget it. Because it will help us when we interact with people who are... are, are 
mired up in sin. It will give us compassion. Jesus had compassion. But He wasn't soft on sin. He told her, don't sin anymore. He healed a crippled guy who, who some friends brought to Him and let down through a roof. And, and He says, your sins are forgiven. In other words, this guy had some issues. But there are multitudes of people who are healed by Jesus and there's no mention of forgiveness of sin. So obviously the sin equals sickness idea is not true. Because he doesn't always say your sins are forgiven, you're healed. There's not any mention of that in a lot of the instances. He simply touches them or He speaks to them. He had the authority to do both. To heal and to forgive sin. And He had that so that He could show them what God thinks. You remember Legion? Jesus sets Legion free. He never says anything about what had happened to to Legion and how He got demonized. He doesn't go into that. He just simply tells Legion this in Mark chapter 5, verse 19. He says, Go home to your people and report to them everything the Lord has done for you and how He had mercy on you. Folks, that's God's heart. He wants us to walk in freedom and to receive mercy. And Jesus walked this out every day in living color throughout His ministry. Listen, sin had separated people from God. But I don't want you to forget this. That sin had also separated God from people. There, there, there's a divide between man and woman and God. And it's just as far from God's perspective as it is from man's perspective. They are the, we are the very creatures He created for relationship. And sin keeps those people, it keeps all people from the desire of their heart. But it also keeps God from the desire of His heart. Do, do you see? We always think that sin just affects us. No, it affects God too. It blocks His desire to, to, to intimately meet with us, to re- have a relationship with us. It keeps Him from the very desire of His heart. What He created us for, and it keeps us from the very desire of our heart, what we were created for. So Jesus comes to be the Savior. He comes to save people from sin and restore those sinners to a relationship with God so that God can have His heart's desire. He doesn't come to divide people into sinners and saints. That's no way. He he, he doesn't come to choose some and, and choose others for damnation. He comes to make a way so that whosoever will may come. Listen, God is not angry at humanity. You ever read the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? It's, it's literature, but it was preached by Jonathan Edwards. And man, he paints a picture of a God who is, who is red hot. <laughs> okay. And that we're doing, I mean, we're, he uses prose there. We're, as sinners, we are like spiders on the end of a, a thin little web. And I'm going to tell you what, it's a wake-up call. Okay? God used Jonathan Edwards. But the reality is, is that's not where God is. God's not a deity in heaven with his veins bulging and his eyes popped out and sweat drops rolling on, on it and hold it, having to hold his hands like this so his fingers don't do this. That's not where God's at. He's not sitting on his throne seething and waiting for that moment when he can explode and just pour his wrath out on us. No, 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 no. Jesus endured his wrath, folks. I don't know why we miss this in Scripture. It's prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus endures the wrath of God. His hate for sin. He endures it. And He doesn't just endure sin. Scripture says that He becomes sin. Now, I can't explain that. Alright? That's beyond 
where I'm at. But he doesn't just die for sinners. He becomes their sin. All the sin of the world is placed on him. And God pours out his wrath on his son. I, I, I can't go there because I don't know how to explain that. But he does it out of love for us. Not out of hate for us. Out of love for us. And he does it because he is not only loving, he is just. He can't just wink at it and pretend it didn't happen. He has to deal with it. And so he deals with it. It's dealt with. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says this, And He, God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ, in Jesus. God expended all of His wrath, all of His anger on Jesus so that we could experience grace and mercy and help and hope and love. All the things we like as Christians, guess what? He did that not just for us, but for everybody else. Everybody else. So don't ever wonder what God thinks about sinners. He loves them with all His heart. That's why He sent the Savior. So, I'll say this and I'm done. So what does that mean to us today? Well, it means we need to stop being judgmental. You know, you're going to see a lot of things you don't agree with and you don't like that are not biblical. But you can't change them by griping about it. All right? You change it by taking Jesus into that situation. You carry the love of Christ into that situation. You know how a person with the flu makes other people sick with the flu? They sneeze and snot and rub shoulders and, you know, that kind of thing. That's how we share Jesus. Okay? We don't sneeze and snot, but we take Jesus into the crowd and we just share Him. And you know what? Jesus is infectious. If we'll just get Him into the place, He'll do what needs to be done and spread on His own. Y'all got me? We don't save anybody. Jesus does. But I've got to take Jesus into that situation. I've got to talk with that person. I've got to communicate with that person. I've got to love that person. I may be diametrically opposed to their lifestyles, their beliefs, and everything else. But you know what? I've got to love them. I, with the compassion of Jesus, so that they will be reminded who Jesus is. Not just in what I say, but in the person that they're talking to. The actions that they see. You know how you lead people to Christ? You love them. People want to see if you believe what you say before they'll listen to what you say. If you don't act like Jesus, please, please, please don't leave a, t don't leave a, a track on a, on a table at the restaurant with 50 cents taped to it, okay? Please don't leave a Turner burn a track if you, if you don't act like Jesus, all right? Because it's killing the rest of us. They're not, they're not going to listen to us because you've already burned the bridge. So, love. You know what? There are a lot of things I don't like and I don't think are right. And they make my skin crawl. But the only person, the only way that person's ever going to know who Jesus is is if I share it. Because there's 200 other people not going to share it. So I got to. You've got to. We've got to. So don't be judgmental. Uh, stop being so quick to condemn. Man, we see somebody do something, boom, we jump on it. We live in a society that all you have to do today is just say this happened and nobody investigates it. It's condemned. 
That's right, that's left. It's not just the right doing it to the left or the left doing it. It's all over. If, if the, we don't investigate things anymore. We don't check them out. And we don't have any compassion. And by the way, in this country, you are proven, you are guilty until you can prove yourself not guilty, which is against what our Constitution says. All right? It's another argument, another day, okay? So we just don't need to be so quick to condemn. And by the way, we're not supposed to be judges anyway, so condemnation is not our thing. We don't enjoy condemnation, so why would we give it? And we need to we need to put the rocks down. Okay. Most Christians walk around with these big old rocks and they want to throw them every chance they get. We don't need to throw rocks. Jesus didn't throw rocks. What we need to do is start thinking and acting like Jesus. Because Jesus thinks and acts like God does. And if I want to please God, I've got to think and I've got to act like he would act in every situation. Now, I don't have to wonder what that's like. I don't have to rack my brain to figure out what he would do in a situation. Why? How am I supposed to react to this? Out of love. Out of grace. Stand up. Be straightforward. Say what needs to be said. But say it in a loving way. People don't receive condemnation. They don't, they, don't, they don't need you to tell them they're condemned and headed for hell. They know that. They need an answer to how can I avoid hell. They need Jesus. You and I have to be that voice. You and I have to think like God thinks. So what does God think about sin and sinners? He hates sin. He loves sinners. Remember, sin's not people. Sinners are people. God loves people. Therefore, I'm to love people, regardless of who they are, where they are, what they're involved in. My job is to take Jesus, which is the only help and hope they have. I am a life preserver carrier. I'm the guy who has the key to the life vest on the boat. And I'm supposed to not put that key in my pocket and, and not let just anybody in that room. My job is to knock the door off the hinges and start slinging every day as hard as I can go. And when they're out, Jesus will give me some more. That's our job, folks. Not just my job. That's our job. It's to show people who God is and what God thinks. And the best way we can do that is to act like Jesus. Let's pray. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.